0: you're listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, Arise family. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm glad to be uh, before you in a different capacity today, Uh, be able to bring the word to you. I am excited. Uh, We are going to be walking through the entire book of Philemon. Now, that might sound intimidating, but it is only one chapter, 25 verses that we get to look at. It's a little over 300 words. It's a small book, but it has a lot to offer. So uh, you got to listen fast. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to try to take my time and walk through uh, these verses for us. Um, But I'm going to read the text uh, just so we could hear it in its entirety, and I'm going to pray for our time together. So if you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Philemon, and we're going to read this short but very, very impactful text here. Philemon verse 1 says this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love, And of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have delivered much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self." The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we come before you this morning just thankful, thankful for your word and how you use it to transform our lives. Thankful for your spirit and how as we yield to him, he uses your word to hide the truths of your word in our heart and then bring them to light in moments of need. Father, I pray this morning that you would remove me from this message, Lord, that you would speak directly to your people, that you would draw them closer to yourself, that you would convict where needed, comfort where needed, but meet us here, Lord, in in whatever capacity your spirit sees fit. Use this time as we meditate on your word, and we pray these things and commit this time to you in the merit of Jesus. Amen. Well, I love to cook. It's not a secret. Uh, I enjoy cooking. It's therapeutic for me. Uh, I've been cooking for a long time. And uh, I love just the array of, of diversity of spices and ingredients and the complexity and trying to be as creative as possible when I do cook. And I'm wondering uh, this morning, how many of you guys have ever made a bechamel? Raise your hand if you ever made a bechamel. Thank, thank you for whoever raised your hand. I know you're not here. I can't see you, but I feel like you're with me in spirit. Um, if you don't know what a bechamel is, I'm certain you've benefited from its, its beauty. A bechamel is, is basically a white sauce made from milk, usually added with herbs and spices as well. If you ever, ever had queso, if you ever had Alfredo, or even like fancy mac and cheese, you know that mac and cheese that you spend like $10 to get at a fancy restaurant? Uh, that's usually made with a bechamel. You build a bechamel from what's called a roux, a mixture of fat and flour, and then you add your milk, and then you add your spices and your cheese or whatever you're going to do for your sauce. Uh, what you might not know in making a bechamel, it's one of those culinary practices that is kind of intimidating for many people. Uh, and It's not because it's hard, right? I said it was fat, maybe olive oil, uh, canola oil, butter, whatever, and then... Flour, equal parts, one-to-one of fat and flour, add some milk, add some spices. It doesn't seem that difficult, and yet it's one of those things that, that kind of uh, uh, people don't feel comfortable doing because it's the technique, it's the process if you don't do it right, you get clumpy and lumpy sauce. If you don't dissolve the roux correctly, if you don't cook the flour correctly, you get this, this really waxy taste of flour in your final dish. And all that time that it might take to make the perfect mac and cheese, if it ain't baked, it ain't made. You wanna have a good product. And so you wanna go through the process correctly, and that's why so many people find it intimidating. But praise God, right? That's why they made Kraft mac and cheese, or maybe you grew up with Velveeta, right? You just pull it off the shelf, put it in the pot, add your little mixture, and there you go, you're good to go, right? A lot of people just go for that because it is a simple process, and it gets the job done, right? You just wanna eat, you wanna get fed, you want mac and cheese, boom, bang, boom, you got it. Now, that might be fine for food. I'm not hating on you if you love Kraft. God bless you if you love Kraft, if you love a a box mac and cheese. But I have a question, do you approach the Bible that way? Do you approach coming to the scriptures in a way that is the most convenient for you? Not finding time or effort or energy to dive into the scriptures in a way that takes time, in a way that takes technique, in a way that takes process because it's just too hard. I just don't get it. Well, I have a a goal for us today as we look at this book, and I really hope that at the end of this message, believing that God wants so much more for us when we come to the scriptures, if you hear nothing else from me, I want you to know that I want you to have a deep-seated and really rich joy in finding time to slow down and really study the scriptures. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, A man who wants to see a country must not hurry through it by express train, but he must stop in the towns and villages and see what is to be seen. He will know more about the land and its people if he walks the highways, climbs the mountains, stays in the homes, and visits the workshops than if he does so many miles in a day and hurries through picture galleries as if death were pursuing him. Don't hurry through the scripture, but pause for the Lord to speak to you. Oh, for more meditation. I love that quote. And it really speaks true to sometimes in the hustle and bustle of life, we just get a few verses in, right? A proverb a day keeps the devil away. That's true. But there are times when we carve out to really study and rightly understand so that we apply rightly the word of God. And, and that's important for us today. Again, we can come to a text that is so short and we just kind of breeze through it or we feel like, oh, that was so short, I don't really know how to think about it or what to do with it. But a text like this, we should come to it and realize, oh, no, God has something for us here. There's truths that he wants us to mind. We should be deeply impressed by the word of God every time we come to it. Why? Because God himself is speaking to us from it. In his graciousness, he has preserved all of the words that we have in the scripture so that we can know him rightly and worship him rightly. And today, as we read this text, we're going to see that played out. Paul calling this brother Philemon to know God rightly and to worship God rightly. So I hope you're ready to study the scripture with me this morning. But first, we need to to build our roux, like I was talking about with the bechamel. We need to build our roux. We need to lay some foundation so that when we pour in the milk, we're ready to go and we know that we have a solid foundation. We need to hold some, some general truths in our minds that I want you to just hold on to and think about as we parse through this passage so that we can mine the depths of this book. The main point of this book that I believe we see here in the text is this. The good news of Jesus Christ compels us to live transformed. I'm going to say it again. The good news of Jesus Christ compels us to live transformed. And what I hope you see as we walk through this text is that Paul is actually entering into the beginning stages of what might, if, uh, if things weren't responded to well, turn into what's called church discipline. Church discipline. Now that word might sound scary, and I I imagine it probably sounds scary to many because of the way that it's been maybe mistreated or mishandled in different church contexts. But uh, just even thinking about the exhortation from Sean a few weeks ago, realizing that as believers, our goal should not be to tear down, but to build up but to build up. This letter, we get a beautiful kind of, kind of sneak peek on how to actually use the, the truths of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done to call another brother or sister to faithfulness. And I hope you walk away realizing that it is, it's all build up language. It's all build up language. So that's the main point. The good news of Jesus Christ compels us to live transformed. And there are these four implications I want us to keep in our mind as we walk through this text. The first one uh, I'm going to call a canonical implication. And a canonical is uh, just a $10 word that talks about the Bible, the, the canon of Scripture. That word just means a standard or a rule. And we're talking about the Scripture when we mention this canonical, canonical implication What do we really mean by that? That means, again, that if it's here in the Bible, God has something for us in it. Uh, You might be asking yourself even or wonder the question, how do we get the Bible that we have? How do we determine what scriptures are here? Well, there's been in history uh, four criteria that we walk through. It's that it has apostolic origin, that there's an apostle that you can tie one of the books to, or if you take into account the Old Testament, it it is affirmed by the the ancient Jewish uh, authorities that this came from a prophet who spoke on behalf of God. The next criteria is that it has universal acceptance among the church. The third criteria is that it's actually used in church uh, services, in the liturgy of the church. And the fourth criteria is that it has a consistent message with the themes of Scripture. So let's see for a second if that criteria fits this book. Uh, the book opens up by saying Paul. And so we know this is letter This letter is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, who right now is a prisoner in a Roman prison. So we can check that box. It has apostolic authority. Early references to this book span all the way back to, the, to AD 100, uh, where it's referenced by church father Ignatius. And so there we have, from Ignatius to today, as we're opening this text, universal acceptance and use in church services. And the last one, a consistent theme. Well, I hope as we walk through this, you'll find that our main point is true, that the good news of Jesus Christ compels us to live transformed, and if that isn't a summary of the scripture, I don't know what is. Jesus Christ, and the good news of who he is, what he's done, calls us and compels us to be transformed. So that's our canonical implication, again, just realizing that this truth applies to every scripture and text of the Bible. We, we wanna come with that canonical implication every time we come to the scripture that God has placed this text here for our benefit, for our good, and that it's here so that we can know how to rightly live according to what he's called us to live by. The second implication that we wanna keep in mind is a spiritual implication. That God wants to show you how to walk in righteousness. I'm reminded of of Colossians. You can keep your finger in Colossians. We can turn there really quickly. We're going to kind of go back there a few times as we reflect on the truths from the book of Colossians. But I want to remind us of Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so we walked through the book of Colossians and we talked about, about Jesus creating this new humanity. That is marked by his resurrection, his death and resurrection, and the fact that he is supreme over all things. And in that, he calls his people to live a certain way. There are spiritual implications to what we're going to walk through here. God wants to show you how to walk in righteousness. And so keep that in mind as we walk through this text. That we don't want to just say, oh, that's good for Philemon. But no, God actually wants to call us to walk in that very same righteousness. The third implication that I want us to keep in mind is relational implication. And again, back in Colossians, and Sean really really drove home some of these, these impli- this relational implication for us back in chapter 4. Verse 2, I'll remind us again, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so again, we have this relational implication that as we walk through this text, God wants us to live in harmony with one another in a way that proves his, his supremacy, in a way that proves that he is truly our Lord, in a way that proves those, those spiritual realities that he calls us to walk in, that they're actually active in our life. And that translates to relational equity that we're building with one another, that we're able to move on mission together because our relationship is healthy and vibrant and beautiful in Christ. So we have canonical implication, spiritual implication, relational implication. Keep those things in mind as we walk through here. Now, I said I had a fourth one, a fourth implication, and this might take a little bit of nuancing here, but I want us to hear this rightly before we dive into the text, and that's a historical implication. Realizing that texts like this in history have been used to oppress people, a historical implication And I'm just going to say out at the onset, because this is not where we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, but the Bible does not in any way condone slavery. We walk to this text, and we see this word slave, and we have in our mind what we understand or have been taught over the course of time what slavery is, and we apply that very same thing to the word. We have to be careful to not do that. Just because something is in the Bible does not make it biblical, I'm going to unpack that. It might sound a little bit weird, right? But I'm going to say it again. Just because something is in the Bible does not make it biblical. Something is biblical when it's consistent with the themes of Scripture, the text of Scripture, the character of God. We can call something biblical. Because it's recorded in Scripture does not give us warrant or right to do it. An example, we see in the Old Testament there are times when people lied, they lied, and the Bible records it because it's true. They actually did lie. But the Bible calls us, what is biblical is to not lie, to not bear false witness. That's biblical. Jesus says if, if you lust in your heart, right, to chop off your right hand. Now, if we don't see a lot of miss, uh, people with missing hands, it probably means we understand that it's in the Bible, but it's not biblical to go off cutting off your arm, Right? But Jesus does say to be mindful of what happens in your heart, that's biblical. And so we wanna be careful, just because the word slavery shows up in the Bible, or something about slavery does not show up in the Bible, we'll unpack that a little bit later, just because that happened doesn't mean you get to take that created doctrine and call something biblical. So again, historically, the Bible, this passage, this book here does not condone slavery. It's true, Paul doesn't condone it, and he doesn't condemn it, but I hope you'll see by the end of our time together that he makes it really, really difficult for it to be successful. He makes it very, very impractical for the way that slavery was used, even in Roman times, and especially in the slavery in our recent history, that he makes it very, very difficult to be successful under Christ to the point that it doesn't make sense to actually do it to the point that it's even incompatible with the Christian worldview. So I want us to hold these things in tension. I want us to hold these things in our hearts as we walk through this text, that this text is here for us to grow in spiritual and relational wisdom as God calls us to live faithful. And then second, or or kind of as a big overarching theme, that as we walk through this text, know that the Bible has never and will never condone what we understand to be slavery in our time. And again, even in Roman time. So we're going to get back into our text with those things as our foundation. We're going to add our milk here, if you will, drawing on that analogy and we're going to dive back into the text. So we already know that Paul is the author and he's writing from a prison in Rome, probably around AD 60. And he's writing to a guy named Philemon uh, concerning his slave that ran away. We can draw some implications. If we look in the letter to Philemon in verse 2, he, Paul makes this point to greet Philemon uh, and other people and the church in your house. Verse 22, we see this, this call for Paul asking Philemon to prepare a room for him. So it's safe to assume that Philemon is some kind of wealthy businessman, He's some kind of a a, a man that is well-off, well-to-do. He's probably an influential person in the city to the point where, uh, as Paul came and met Philemon, probably somewhere in his missionary time in in Ephesus, uh, converts to Christianity, goes back to Colossae, and he allows this house or this church to meet in his house because he has the space, he has the means, he has the availability A man like him would have had many slaves. He would have had people who were working for him. He would have had an entire sort of mini empire working for himself. Onesimus is the the person in mind right here. We heard about Onesimus at the close of Colossians, and he apparently ran away and possibly defrauded Philemon. We're not entirely sure. We can't be dogmatic about what may have happened. But he might have stolen from him. There's there's obviously this talk about repaying something, but whatever the case may be, Onesimus and Philemon did not part on good terms. And in the course of time, Onesimus meets Paul in this time of being in prison and he becomes a believer. And I just think about that reality and just say, how beautiful is God. That he would allow Onesimus to leave uh, his converted Christian master under whatever circumstances might have been happening, to flee from that, meet Paul, get converted in jail, wherever he was in jail, we can again speculate, not sure, but the kindness of God towards Onesimus to draw him to himself. That's just an observation that I, I thought was beautiful as I was walking through this text. But Paul is calling Philemon to be re- restored to his former slave, now brother, Onesimus, And he calls him to be restored to him in an even greater degree than when he left. To an even greater degree than when he left. And so remember I said this was a sneak peek into how church discipline really could go uh, properly done. Matthew 18 says the first step is to address your brother personally. And Paul does that here. We get to, again, peer into this, this really case study of how to do this well. And he does that by, as we walk through this text, I hope you'll see, he does that by by doing three things. Helping Philemon refocus on three things. And that's his identity. That's his identity, the cross, and the mission. He helps Philemon refocus on his identity, refocus on the cross, and refocus on the mission. Now remember our main point. Our main point is this. The good news of Jesus Christ compels us to live transformed. Therefore, Paul says, remember, rejoice in your identity. Look down with me at, at verse 4. Paul talks here, and he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now, you might remember that from the book of Colossians. Paul says almost the exact same phrasing. Uh, Paul has a similar kind of heartbeat towards the Philippians as well. And you might read that and say, like, oh, Paul is just speaking flatteringly, right? Right? But I think there's something about the important Paul that we want to understand, and that is that the Apostle Paul loved the bride of Christ. He had a very deep, sincere love for God's people that they would know him and walk, rightly walk in what he's called us to walk in. And so how would you come to the bride of Christ and lovingly call them to walk in that transformation that Jesus calls them to, not by condemning them, but by, by building them up? Paul loves the bride of Christ, and Philemon is a part of that bride, and he wants to call him to rejoice in that identity that he's a part of the bride, and so he addresses him with these tender and gracious words. And so we pick it back up in verse 5. He says, because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all of the saints, and he reminds him of his identity. That in Christ, Philemon, remember, there's deep love that you have for the saints. Remember, Philemon, there's deep faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. And that word Lord there was used intentionally, right? It's that word for master. In your master, Jesus Christ, your faith that you have in him. Remember, rejoice. I rejoice in those things. I want to call you to rejoice in that reality. We continue seeing that uh, he he prays for him, and the sharing of his faith may become effective. Verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love because of the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed through you. Paul, again, calling Philemon to remember his identity, rejoice in his identity, celebrate who he actually is in Christ, and it's a brother who's marked by love. It's a brother who's marked by deep faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he's a brother where those two things manifest in him uh, building up the body to the point where the body is refreshed. That's who Philemon is. That is what Paul is rejoicing him. And as he gently comes to him to call him to walk faithfully, he reminds him and rejoices with him in his identity, who he is. And I pause again and want to ask this question just for a second for us to think about it. Do those qualities define you? Do those qualities that Paul is talking about here in this Brother Philemon define you where you are today? Do you find that love for the saints is something that sits in your heart just so comfortably? That you have this deep love for Jesus' bride that you would do anything for her? That you have a true and sincere faith in the Lord, that he is your master, that he controls and is in control of where you go, what you do, that you submit to his lordship. And do the saints feel refreshed by your love? Does the body feel built up by your love? I hope that would be true of you as we reflect and look at this, this beautiful display that Paul is talking about here in the book of Philemon. He basically is saying this, uh, you cannot live transformed if you reject your identity. You cannot live transformed if you reject your identity. And so Paul calls him to remember that identity, that he is in Christ, that he has faith in him, that he has love for the saints, and that has been manifested over time by the saints being refreshed. Philemon, remember this. You cannot live transformed if you reject who you are in Christ. And Philemon, these things mark who you are. It's clearly seen that you've been transformed by Jesus. The people around you are experiencing this reality of your transformation. You're generous, I'm sure. He could say he's generous with his time, his talents, and his treasure, inviting the church to be in his home, and he's helping him to see that this is important. To rejoice in who Jesus has transformed you to be. Remember those things, celebrate those things, rest in those things. And again, that's true for us. We cannot live transformed. If all the things that we talked about in Colossians, this reality of being a new humanity, this reality of of putting on these realities of compassion and kindness and, and humility and meekness and rejoicing and thanksgiving and spiritual songs with one another and being on mission together to seek and save the lost, if we aren't rested and rooted and rejoicing in that reality, we will never live transformed. We will never walk in a way that marks those things as being true. You cannot live transformed if you reject your identity. And so Paul gently here in our text calls Philemon to just for a moment reflect on the things that are true of you in Christ. That you have been marked as a brother who loves the saints, who loves God's bride. Wants them to know who he is and live faithfully to him. Remember those things. He wants him to Remember that. And he gets in, and the he, uh, next uh, reality that he does is he helps Philemon remember what the cross has done. So he sets him up and says, hey, rejoice in these things. I know these things are true about you. You have been clearly transformed by Jesus, but let me remind you what Jesus has done. And I love verse 8. He, he says, okay, so here are all these realities of who you are accordingly, in the ESV it says. Or your version might say, for this reason. So since all these things are true, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for the sake of love, I I would rather appeal to you. I'd rather call you to walk in faithfulness on your own. And we could take the implications from this. Whatever Paul had been uh, reported to from Onesimus, there might be some things that Philemon is really wrestling with. Now you think about slavery in the time of the Roman Empire, And uh, uh, slavery, the institution of it in the Roman Empire, was uh, just as bad as it was in our time. It wasn't as organized or or structured in the same way. But masters were just as repulsive to their slaves as masters in our time would have been uh, um, terribly uh, tyrannical to their slaves. There would have been this cultural pressure for Philemon to treat Uh, onesimus in a certain kind of way especially if he actually did steal something from him there would have been laws that the roman empire had in place and if he was a successful and wealthy businessman again just take this moment put yourself in philemon's shoes what would you have done with the cultural pressures the societal pressures the social pressures that he might have been feeling and so paul says i'm bold enough in christ to command you to do as required but i'd rather you get there yourself by the spirit's work I'd rather you get there by yourself with the Spirit's work, and so I'm going to appeal to you as a prisoner, as a a prisoner of Christ for my my child Onesimus. And he builds up this reality of what has happened and how Onesimus has become a believer and that he should see him as one who is a part of him. Now, why? I said uh, keep your finger in Colossians, but we're going to look at Ephesians really quick. Turn in the book of Ephesians with me. Just drawing our minds to something that is true. The book of Ephesians, verse 11, the word of God says this, Therefore, remember that at that time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That is what the cross has done and what Paul is trying to call Philemon to remember. See that there in verse 15, back in the book of Philemon. For perhaps... For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. And I love that word there. It might not uh, come across as great in the English, but the word, but more than a bondservant, is the word where we get the word hyper from. And we think about the word hyper, that's, that's to the greatest extent and even exaggerated reality, that he would become a hyper Uh, more than, greater than, bigger than, beyond a bondservant, that he would actually become a beloved brother. That he actually would become a beloved brother. Because in Christ, the dividing wall has been broken down between Jew and Greek, slave and free. this relationship be rooted in this reality of the dividing wall, the hostility being killed, that there's room in what Jesus has accomplished for this to happen. We read it again in Colossians chapter 3. That reality of what has happened. There is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, Philemon, do you realize that because Onesimus has become a believer that you share in the same blood, That the blood that has covered you, that has given you the ability to live graciously and lovingly and servingly towards God's people, now resides in Onesimus, your brother. And that should cause you to live differently. Ephesians chapter 4, I I love this passage. Paul says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Or we could say you should no longer walk as the culture does. In the futility of their mind, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Again, keep Philemon's shoes on your feet. Think about the pressures, the social pressures, the things he would have been having to think through in dealing with this former slave. But he says, no, don't be like them who might have hardness of heart. They have become callous, verse 19 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I love this verse, verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think that word true is really important, right? It's not false or put on or, or fake righteousness and holiness. Not doing something to save face before somebody, even if it is the church. But you actually are wanting to put on true righteousness and true holiness after your creator. And that is exactly what Paul is calling Philemon to do here. Philemon. You understand the blood of Jesus and how it's covered you. You should receive this brother. I shouldn't have to command you. You should, by the basis of your character, want to receive your brother with joy. Ephesians 4 goes on, and Paul gives this case study, this example, and, and Pastor C referenced it a few weeks ago, but this case study of a thief, right? True transformation doesn't happen when the thief stops stealing Or when he goes from stealing to no longer stealing. That's not true transformation. That's behavior modification. But he goes from stealing to not stealing to being generous with his hands. To giving to people from the labor of his work. That's true transformation. And so Paul is writing to Philemon and he's calling him to remember all these things. Remember what the cross of Christ has done what he's accomplished in his, in his death and his burial and his resurrection, that would call you to think differently about your brother Onesimus. And so for, for Philemon, it's not just no longer treating Onesimus like a slave, but it's actually receiving him like a brother. That would be the ultimate expression of true transformation. Now again, think about this. This is a Roman society with a very probably well-known businessman. Receiving a slave who stole from him, and he's now receiving him and not punishing him, but even more than not punishing him, embracing him like a brother. How would that look to the society? How would that speak to his ability to run his business? How would that speak to what he is able to do in being a leader in the city? It would have hurt his reputation. And Paul is saying, oh, brother Philemon, you need to be okay with that. Because your citizenship is not primarily being connected to the Roman Empire. Your citizenship is that of heaven. Cultivate a kingdom mentality. That you would walk in such a way that is in step with the transforming reality of who Jesus Christ is. And you display that to everyone to see. Putting your reputation online. All your wealth on the line. Because Onesimus is worth it in your relationship with him. That is what Paul is calling Philemon to do, and it's heavy, and it's heavy. This isn't a simple ask. This is actually a very countercultural, impactful, financial, relational ask that Paul is giving to Philemon. He's calling him, though, to be faithful to Jesus and not to man. This is what Paul is calling him to And again, this beautiful reality of him, that idea again of more than a bondservant, greater than a bondservant, but a fellow, beloved brother. And like I said, at that point, slavery can no longer be slavery. Back in verse 6, we saw this phrase here in the ESV, and it says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith now, that word is also in the Greek, again, in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, sharing your faith and partner are the same word, and it's the word that we uh, get fellowship from, koinonia. And so Paul, in verse 6, says, I pray that in the sharing, the, the koinonia of your faith, the, the, the same fellowship that we have there, And if you consider me your partner, if we have true koinonia, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him like you would receive me in full assurance of brotherhood. This request, again, would have been radical. Radical. Set aside your earthly rights and instead take up the mantle of your heavenly citizenship. That, that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Now, a lot of times we read that in 2 Corinthians and we immediately apply it to just the unbelieving world. But this message of reconciliation is not just for unbelievers, it is for believers alike. That God is calling you, he is calling me to not only uh, preach the message of Jesus Christ and reconcile those who would be separated from God forever, but he is calling us to be reconciled consistently and every day with forbearance, with meekness, with humility, with patience, with thanksgiving, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another that our ministry and mission as a church would be healthy. That's reconciliation that happens as well. When the transforming reality of Jesus Christ is truly walked in, slavery becomes irrelevant and even powerless. When the transforming reality of Jesus Christ is truly walked in, slavery becomes irrelevant and even powerless. And more than that, because that's the negative. We don't want to focus on that. More than that, partnership and brotherhood is what matters now. We're not even worried about this institution over here because we're focused on brotherhood and fellowship. That we really believe that Christ is all and in all, and therefore I see you In a different way. I experience you in a different way. I listen to you in a different way. I celebrate you in a different way. I move towards you in faith and mission, on mission together in a different way. That those things no longer divide us. And so get this even if Onesimus came back and continued to serve in Philemon's household, nobody would even know that he was a servant that their brotherhood would be so beautiful, so transforming, so countercultural that they would think that this is just his boy, and they're doing life together. The societal, again, of slavery no longer makes sense, and we need to actually call it a new word, right? Koinonia, fellowship, partnership, I think in my mind it's kind of like vegan food recreations, Right? What is a vegan mac and cheese? It's not, it's not mac and cheese anymore. Let's just call it creamy cashew sauce, right? Like, that's what it's talking about. We need a whole new category so we can think about it well. We're not even talking about slavery anymore. You're living completely transformed, completely different, because that is what your identity in Christ and the transforming power of the cross calls us to. That's, again, why exegesis is so important. You guys, maybe you haven't heard that word before, exegesis. There's a uh, counterpart to it, a word called eisegesis. But exegesis is this reality of pulling out from the text. Eisegesis is reading into the text. And so people that have used this beautiful text, this word of God that is supposed to call us into spiritual and relational equity with God have perverted the word of God to apply it to an institution that would oppress people made in his image. That's what poor exegesis gets to you. That's why going slow through the scriptures and asking healthy questions and spending time reading and meditating and not just breezing through as if you don't really need the word of God is so important. And it's not the preacher's job to do that. We have the privilege of opening the word of God as an encouragement like 1 Corinthians tells us to do in preparation, wanting to encourage the body of Christ, but be a Berean. Study the scriptures. Rightly understand the text so that you can rightly live in line with God. I hope you, I hope you don't take what I say for, uh, at face value today. I hope you go back to the text and you read it yourself and you understand it for yourself that this is what God is calling us to. Or call me a liar. But I believe this is what we see here in this text. That Paul is calling this brother Philemon to be restored uh, to his former slave, now brother, Onesimus. And be restored in Christ in a way that would be so countercultural to the world, they wouldn't know what to do with it. To say again that the Bible allows slavery because it doesn't condemn it is an argument from silence. And we don't want to do that. We want to know what it actually says. And Paul doesn't condemn slavery. That is true. But as, again, as a matter of fact, he does something so much more. He calls him to live transformed. He Calls him to live in such a way that, that slavery would be eradicated as people knew it. That again, wouldn't even be a word. We'd have to call it something else. It choked it out like a, depriving a fire of oxygen. That is what the transforming power of the cross can do. That is what this text is saying, that it actually brings people together. The cross does not allow for division. It brings unity together. And this past week, I hope you're joining us on Wednesday night as we're beginning our Kaleidoscope series and walking through, what does it mean to be a, a united, diverse church? How is there unity and diversity? I hope you'll continue or, or begin to join us for that, that series on Wednesday nights. That is the reality of what Christ has done. He's broken down the dividing wall. There's no longer relational tension that has to be between brothers. There's no longer tension that has to be between us and outsiders that we have the message of reconciliation. And that is what Paul is calling Philemon to live up to, to put the power of the cross on display. It's beautiful. It's power. And again, at its core, I think it's a consistent reminder of the cross of Christ. So much more could be said, but for the sake of time, we're going we're to move on from this point. So how do you restore a brother who may be on the path to living in disobedience? You help them remember that the good news of Jesus Christ compels them to live transformed. And the best way to do that is to help them rejoice in their identity. Remind them of how Christ has transformed them. You help them remember what the cross has done. And breaking down barriers and and removing chains and making people free, able to live and worship God rightly. And lastly, I I think this is important. We see here, Paul calls Philemon to remain faithful to the mission. So how do you restore a brother? You don't let him just wander off by himself. You call him to faithfulness to the mission. I think we see that there in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Again, just building him up. At the same time, prepare for me a guest room, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison, writing a letter to a brother who might be on the path to to sin, and in faith is saying, but no, brother, I know you're going to respond well. I know you're going to do even more than what I'm calling you to do. And beyond that, prepare a room for me because we got work to do. There's business still being being had. There's kingdom business that we have to walk in together as I know you've been faithful to do already. And again, Epaphras and my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends his greeting to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. Those names weren't dropped just to drop names. This is, this is the crew, right? This is who you know, these brothers that you know. Timothy 2 in the, in the beginning of the letter. This is who you know. We're all on mission together. Come with us. We're coming, prepare a room for us. We want to fellowship with you in truth, with Onesimus on mission together in Colossae. We're going to stand with you. We're going to be with you. We're going to remain on mission together. I love that. He doesn't put him out. He doesn't set him to the side. He doesn't cast him off. He says, no, we want to remain faithful. I know you're going to respond to the truth because I know your identity. Continue to walk in it. What should we do with all of this? What should we do with all of this? I think simply, ask yourself this question. Are you Paul? Are you Philemon? Or are you Onesimus? If you're Paul, if you can relate to him in this story... If you have a brother or a sister that you're in relationship with that you know is maybe walking and heading down a path of unrighteousness, don't condemn that brother or sister. Celebrate their identity. Call them to and remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ. Show them just who they are and celebrate what Jesus has done for them. Remind them of the things and the ways that God has moved. Call them to remember the power of what Jesus has done for us and invite them to remain on mission. Don't set them to the side. Don't put them off. Don't, don't treat them like an outsider. Call them to remember what Jesus has done, who they are in Christ, and to remain on mission. <clears throat> are you Philemon in this scenario? Are you on the path of unrighteousness? Well, I I'd, I'd call you to the same things. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember what the cross has done for you. If you have bad blood between a brother and sister, don't, don't wait for someone to come and talk to you. Respond to the message right now and go and be reconciled. Walk in faithfulness in who God has made you to be, the power that he's given you in his spirit to be compassionate and kindness and forbearing and meek. Go to that brother or sister and be restored. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel and receive God's gracious call to be on mission as an imperfect person, being transformed to perfection. And then lastly, are you, are you Onesimus in this message? Have you wronged somebody? Have you been in hiding to, to be restored rightly to someone? Have you been sequestering yourself because you don't really want to deal with that problem? Again, don't wait till big brother Paul to come for you and, and defend your aid. Remember who you claim to be. Remember the cross that has given you the power to walk towards any brother and be restored to them. And again, receive God's gracious call to remain on mission. Well, family, I, I really do hope that in this, this brief time that we got to walk through this letter, there's again so many truths that we could have mined and dug and stay here. But again, I hope that really in, in, gives you an incentive to go do that. To continue to dive deep into this short book. Understand the truths of what God has called us to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful that, that in it you gently correct us. That in, us, in it you call us to live faithfully towards you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this right now, Lord, or even our visitors online, that you would use your word. Your authoritative word to convict, to correct, to comfort, to provide the wisdom needed for us to move forward in faith in Christ. So that as we walk as people who are marked by love to this this world that is marked by hate, that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That we we would be marked by, by being peacemakers, being those meek people of the world, being the salt and light of the world, and that our love, our love and our unity and our diversity would be so either enticing or repulsive to this world. But knowing that we are walking faithfully in Christ, we please you. Give us that grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.